0: Well, good morning. Pastor Deal is downstairs teaching the first session of our Discover New Hope or New Members class. And so he's asked me to continue with our series on kingdom concepts, the things that Jesus wanted us to know about his kingdom. Now, before I I get into the meat of the message here, I wanna give you folks an update. If you were here a couple months ago, the last time I spoke, excuse me, one of the things I talked about was how I had gotten this cool new multi-tool. Now, I'm kind of a, a knife collector and I like multi-tools and, you know, in, in my job, obviously, I use a multi-tool every day, right? You know, that's something I really need. I got to have this, this cool tool so I can fix stuff, right? No, not, you know, and so I made the joke how I use it to open boxes and every now and again I get excited because, like, you know, the divider in the men's room between the urinals would get loose and I can pull up my multi-tool and tighten the screw, you know, and I get to feel pretty manly when I do that. So actually, Dom, do we have a picture of that green one? Yeah. So. I had the exact same multi-tool as that one, except it was silver. But then one day, I got an email from Leatherman, the company that makes it, and I open up this email and I see that now, not only do they have the silver version of that one, you can get it in blue, you can get it in red, you can get it in green, and I mean, the color actually makes it work better. We know that, right? You know, when it's a different (laughs) color, it works better. So, I mean, I was all excited about this thing, and I, I had some birthday money, and I thought, oh my gosh. So, I went ahead and bought the thing, and I was waiting every day. I was looking at the tracking number to see, like, okay, now it's in Toledo. Now it's getting a little closer. Now it's in Fort Wayne. It's supposed to be delivered today. I got home from work, and there's a package on the, on the table, and I open it up, and there's that multi-tool. And I was so excited, and I had it in my hand, and I looked at it, and I'm like, It's green. It's the exact same thing that I had, but it was green. Like, what am I going to do with this? I only have so many pockets. And so I had been so excited about this thing. And as soon as I got it, I was like, yeah, I mean, it's cool. Well, so what did I do? I traded it to my oldest son. I don't even remember what I traded him for. But I got so excited about this thing. And once I got it, I was like, oh, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. See, and I use that as an example. That's what we do so many times in our lives. We get excited about something that the world offers to us. And we finally get that thing, whether it's a promotion, maybe it's a new car, whatever it happens to be, a relationship, and we get it, we're like, yes, and we got it, oh, I'm so excited. And then the new wears off. And then we go right back, and we have to look for the next thing that's going to get us excited. See, and that's because we make the mistake of thinking that anything the world can offer us is ever going to satisfy us. We know that the only thing that can really satisfy us is Jesus Christ. Amen. So I thought that was a neat sermon illustration. Well, Luke has been, uh, last year at scout camp, Luke, my oldest son, he learned how to forge these metal crosses out of a piece of steel. And, you know, it's kind of a neat thing. You have a bigger picture. There we go. Everybody can see. Like, you know, you're 13 years old and you're making that out of a piece of steel with a hammer and some heat. That's kind of cool. Well, he made one the other day and he thought, man, you know, I really like this. I'd like to do this more often. So he comes to me and he says, Dad, I need to make some money. Like, what's up, buddy? He's like, well, we need a forge, and I need some hammers, and some of those tools I already have. He's like, I need to buy some steel. Like, how many of you have a 13-year-old that says, hey, I need to buy some steel, right? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, man, let's go. So I said, yeah, I'll help you out with it. We'll we'll work something out. But he's like, well, I also have some stuff I don't really use, and, uh, you know, uh, would you help me sell those things? I'm like, sure. And one of those things that he brought to me for me to help him sell was that green multi-tool. <laughs> this green multi-tool. So I bought the thing back from him because I'm like, you know, I sold the silver one to a friend of mine so I didn't have one. Now I've got my green one back. So, you know, I'm, I'm set now. We're good for him. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so that was on Sunday. Monday I come into work and I sit down at my computer and I open up my email. And there's an email from Leatherman. I'm like, ooh. What's this? So I click on it, and I open it up, and I see that not only do they have them in silver, and blue, and red, and green, now they have a tan version. Look at this one. <laughs> I mean, come on, right? Wouldn't you want to carry that in your pocket? Not only do they now have a tan version, they also have a custom shop where you can get yours customized. And so I was playing around with that a little bit, and uh, there's the customizations. I mean, you know, Look at, wouldn't you like to have a scary looking deer glaring at you every time you pull out your knife or you can get this cool pattern? Like, I, I think that's kind of creepy looking, right? So the, the point to all this, well, of course, what I did is I immediately deleted that email because, you know, I learned my lesson. <laughs> and I don't have any Christmas money left. Um, so I, I didn't buy one. But the point of all of this is, is a humorous way to say, what do we set our hearts on? What do we think is valuable? Because that's what these parables that Jesus is talking about uh, are all about. What's really valuable? How does his kingdom work? How do things look the way that he does things? And it's important to remember that in these parables that Jesus is telling, this was world changing for the Jews that heard this. The stuff that they're hearing is so far beyond anything they've ever heard before that they just they, they can hardly wrap their minds around it. And we've got to keep that in mind as we hear these stories because we're looking back 2,000 years, and we have the benefit of hindsight. But they're hearing these things for the first time. In, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is actually saying in several different teachings, he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. He's flipping everything on its head. He's saying, these are the things that you have been taught your entire lives, and now I'm here and I'm saying, you guys have missed the boat. This is what the kingdom of God is really like. So we pick up our story, Matthew chapter 13, verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now. This seems on the surface pretty similar to the parable that we heard last week, the treasure in the field. But if we take a closer look at it, the first question I have is, who's the pearl? What's the pearl? The traditional view is that like the treasure in the field, the pearl represents the kingdom of God, the merchant represents us, and we find this pearl that is of such value that we should give up everything to own it. That's certainly a valid and, and accurate interpretation of that passage. But some other commentators have suggested that maybe we're the pearl, that the merchant is Jesus, because didn't he give up everything for us? What could be more precious of a price than the blood of Jesus? Amen. And that's the price that was paid for us. Now, I'm not saying that because we're so awesome, like, I, like. <laughs> Jesus is like, man, I got to go get that Todd guy because he was, yeah, I got to get him. No, it's not anything about us. It's about him and his love for us. In 1 Peter, <coughs> excuse me, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 read, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Then in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. What greater price could have been paid for us? No greater price. See, if we relate this To the parable of the lost coin. Remember the lady loses a coin and she gets down on her hands and knees and she lights the lamp and sweeps everything until she finds that coin. Does everything she can to find that coin. Or the parable of the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep and goes after the one that is lost. That's what Jesus does for us. There's another parable that talks about that and that's found in Luke chapter 15. I like to call it a tale of two sons. We know it better as the prodigal son or the lost son. But we're going to talk about both sons today. I don't have time to read the whole thing, so I'll kind of give it to you in a nutshell. Jesus is telling this story, and he says there's this wealthy man. He's got a farm, and, you know, he's got servants and, and stuff. And one day his younger son, he's got two sons. The younger son comes up to him and says, Dad, I don't want to wait until you're dead. Give me my half of my inheritance now. Kind of a jerky thing to say. I mean, like, whoa. Now, if I was this guy, I'd be like, no, go get a job. (laughs) But what's the dad do? He says, okay. He gives him his stuff. So then this guy goes, and he goes to a foreign country, and he blows everything he has on partying and crazy living. When he's out of money, everybody he thought was his friend leaves him. There's a famine in the country, so he can't get food. He's reduced to working with pigs, and he's so hungry... He's willing to eat or wanting to eat the slop that is fed to the pigs. Now, it's really, under, really important that we understand some of the background to this story. See, in Jewish culture at that time, first of all, you respected the elders, you respected your parents. I mean, that's actually one of the 10 commandments of the Jewish law, right? Honor your father and mother. So there's strike one. He's basically telling his dad, I don't care if you die right now, give me my money. Second thing, he went to a foreign country. And good Jews did not mix with non-Jews. If you think about the story of the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan. And she's asking Jesus, like, why are you even talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And third, he's hanging out with pigs, which to the Jews, pigs were unclean animals. They were ceremonial unclean. They couldn't eat them. They couldn't be around them, anything. So this kid's got three strikes against him in the minds of the Jewish hearers. And I bet they're thinking, "Oh, buddy, you're getting just what you deserve." Yeah, that's what happens when you run away from home. That's what happens when you screw up like that. You're getting it. They're probably like, "Mm-hmm." I know where this story's going. Jesus is going to say, "Well, that's why you follow the rules. That's why you do what you're supposed to do." Well, so Jesus, of course, being Jesus, flips everything on its head. And I love chapter, or excuse me, verse 17. Talking about the boy, says, when he came to his senses. Anybody had a moment like that? When you came to your senses? Sadly, I've had a lot of those. I'm a slow learner. But he came to his senses, and he realized that this terrible life he's leading is nothing compared to what he could have had back home. And so he resolves in his mind, he's like, you know what? I'm going to go crawling back to dad. I'm going to admit my faults. And I'm going to say, can I at least be the lowest servant on your farm? Because at least then I'll have food. I'll have clothes. I'll be taken care of. So he sets off, and he's walking back home. And this is where the story gets really good. And this is where everything gets flipped upside down for the, for the hearers. Because then Jesus says, When he was still a long way off, his father saw him and ran to him. Dad didn't wait for the boy to get here and be like, what are you doing? No, dad ran to him. And the son starts his spiel where he says, I'm so bad and I messed up and I'm so sorry. Let me, and the dad just shushes him and he throws his arms around him. And he says, my son was dead, but now he's alive again. And that grace and that mercy that that father showed that son was unthinkable. But that's the same grace and mercy that our father shows to us. Unthinkable. The things that we've done, the things that are in our past. And yet when we come to our senses and we start on that road home, he sees us from a long way off and he's waiting for us, and he runs to us. Now, there's two brothers. So they're getting ready to have this big party because the younger brother is home, and the younger brother hears about it. And he, thank you, the older brother. The older brother hears about it. He has a pretty predictable attitude, pretty understandable. He says, Dad, what are you doing? He went off and wasted all this, did all these terrible things. I've been here the whole time, slaving, working on, working on your farm for you, and you haven't even given me like a goat to have with my friends. I don't know that I would want God to give me a goat necessarily, but, you know, 20 bucks for McDonald's or, or whatever, you know. Go out and have a good time with my friends. And what does the dad say? He says, son, everything I have is yours. But your brother was dead. Now he's alive again. I've been that younger brother where I've come home and experienced that grace and that mercy. But you know what? I've been that older brother too. See, after a while, when we've been following Jesus for a while, it's real easy to slip into the trap of being the older brother. It's real easy for us to start thinking we've earned something. That the hard work we've put in, you know, serving in the kids' ministry or, or making coffee or, or doing whatever or just being a nice person, that we've somehow earned God's favor. See, and both brothers were very, very confused about who God was, who their father was. The younger brother was messed up because he thought that he could do without his father. He thought that all he needed was what the world had to offer. The older brother was mixed up because he thought that he could earn God's favor. And what they both missed, Is that the reason they had any blessings at all is because they were sons. Had nothing to do with what they did, good or bad. Had everything to do with who they were. That they were the man's sons. I want to talk about something called refrigerator privileges. I am 40 years old. When I go to my mom and dad's house, first thing I do, typically, I don't know what this says about me as a person, but first thing I do typically after I hug my mom and shake my dad's hand or, or whatever is I go to the refrigerator, and I open the door, and I see if there's anything good in there. Like, oh, man, you know, especially their freezer. Oh, Eric, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Well, see, mom and dad get visits from the Schwan man. How many people know the Schwann man's got some good stuff, right? <laughs> My home does not receive visits from the swan man. (laughs) That's because my wife cares about my health. Um, And I'm not very good at making good food choices, but the swan man has these like Snickers ice cream bar things. Yeah. And I only get those at mom and dad's house because I'm a son. I can walk into their house, open up their freezer and pull one of those out. I've been invited to Pastor Deal's house many times for different things. I have not walked into his house and (laughs) opened up his freezer and looked for chocolate ice cream bars. I mean, I like my job, I wanna keep it, you know? (laughs) The point is, at Pastor Deal's house, I'm a guest. And I'm welcome in his home. But at mom and dad's house, I'm a son. And I have special privileges because of that. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we get adopted into God's family Romans 815, one of my favorite verses the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry Abba Father Amen. now I want to say something real quick maybe somebody out there today is thinking well, yeah but I mean we're adopted that's not the same as being a real son is it well, I want to tell you a little bit. I, I know a little bit about adoption. I have three beautiful children. Two out of three of those I've adopted. My oldest son, Luke, when he was, a, he was just a baby when Bethany and I started dating, and I changed his diapers, and I fed him, and I helped him learn how to use a spoon, and I played with him, and I would read him bedtime stories. And I did all these things, not because I had to, but because I loved him. And I stood in the courtroom a couple of months after we got married, and I said, yes, I swear that I will take care of this boy for the rest of my life as his father, not because I had to, but because I wanted to, because I loved him. Now, Brennan, if you know me and if you know him, he is my little clone. I mean, that poor kid, I I, I pray for him a lot because he looks like me. He acts like me. I mean, especially pray for him there. (laughs) You know, we have a lot of the same interests and stuff. But the important thing is that being similar is not what unites us. What unites us is that we love each other. And you know what? We didn't fly halfway around the world twice to bring Naya home from Africa because we had to. We did it because we loved her and we wanted to. And I want you to understand, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back like, oh, look at me, I adopted. What I'm saying is, I didn't understand the love that the father has for his adopted children until I had adopted children of my own. And I realized there is not a shred of difference in the way I feel between Luke and Brennan. There's not a shred of difference about the way I feel about any of my children. There's a Garth Brooks song It says, blood is thicker than water. But love is thicker than blood. And love is who God is. Love is who God is. And he says, you are worth the price of the blood of Jesus. You are my child. And I think if we could really get a hold of that, if we could really get that deep down into our hearts, wouldn't our lives look different? What would it be like? to not be afraid anymore? What would it be like to not live in fear that somebody's going to hurt us, that somebody's going to push us away? What would it be like to not live with shame and guilt and fear and despair? What would it be like to live solid in the knowledge that no matter what happens, we are precious, that no matter if our wife leaves us or our friends turn on us or if we lose our jobs or, or we lose our house, whatever happens, that we are held in the arms of a loving father what would our lives look like? What would the world look like if we could grab a hold of that and get that down deep in our hearts? Man, I'm preaching to myself today. When we talk about this love, we talk about serving, we talk about obeying. And I think that there's three kind of levels of serving and obeying God the first one we serve and we obey out of fear like oh my gosh you know God is so big and so mighty I better not step out of line because if I do he's just waiting he's just well like, oh I saw you sneak that cigarette behind the building bah! lightning bolt you're done <laughs> now please understand there is such a thing as a holy fear of God and we should have that that awe and that respect because he is God But when we're serving only from a place of fear, of punishment, we're missing out on God's heart. Second level, serving out of duty or obligation. Like, oh, I have to do these things because I owe God. You know what? We do owe God, but that's a debt that can never be repaid. We can't repay that debt. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross, because that's the only way that that debt that we owe can be repaid. So it doesn't matter how many good things you do. It doesn't matter if you're a good person, if you're nice to the neighbors, you don't kick your dog. You know, those are all important things, but that's not the real essence of why we should serve and obey God. But if we can get to that third level where we serve and obey God out of love for him, we serve and we obey because it puts a smile on our father's face. We serve and we obey because we have his joy in our hearts and our lives and we want to share that with other people because we know what it's like to live in the darkness and we want to help them live in the light too. When we take that torch into that dark, dark area and light it up, that torch of God's love, when we can serve and obey God like that, that's what sets the world on fire. That's what changed Jerusalem. That's what changed Israel. That's what changed the Roman Empire. And that's what can change the world we live in today. People that understand who they are in Jesus Christ and are willing to go out and take that light to a very dark world. See, we get to be part of the Father's plan. We get to work in the family business. We get to partner with him. The most amazing thing is God doesn't need us. God could fix everything without even waving a hand. But God wants us. God wants us to come alongside him. One last thing I want to say about the uh, the pearls before we move on. That's the way I did a little research on, on oysters and pearls. I found out that pearls only form through Problems. See, for a pearl to form, a little grain of sand or, or some other little little piece of, of trash has to get inside that oyster, and it starts to irritate the sensitive inside of that oyster. So it starts to secrete this stuff that eventually is going to turn into that beautiful, shiny pearl. What I want us to see there is that pearls only form when the oyster gets hurt we're so afraid of pain. We're so afraid of suffering that we turn around and run the other direction. We, sometimes we run from the very thing that God is going to use to make a pearl out of our lives. But if we're willing to take that hurt and take it to God and cast our cares on Him, And let him do something amazing with the hurt that we've experienced. He's going to make something awesome out of it. He's going to take my struggles with alcohol and let me walk through someone else's struggles that they're having with addiction. He's going to take my struggles with rejection and he's going to help me walk somebody else through their struggles with rejection, through the pain that they're experiencing. He's going to take the struggles that you are facing and that you have faced and let you walk somebody else through them. Because that's how it works. God brings us through so that we can bring others through. All right, I got to get moving. I could talk about that all day. So the next parable that Jesus talks about is the parable of the nets. We find that in verses 47 through 50. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. The first thing I want us to see about that is that a net isn't choosy. You drop a net in the water, you pull it out, you get whatever happens to be in the path of that net. Just like the wheat and the weeds that Pastor Adam talked about last week. It's not until the net gets to the shore, it's not until the end of time, that the good fish get separated from the bad fish. And I think sometimes we expect that when we become Christians, every problem in our life is gonna be whoop, gone. We're not gonna have to deal with any difficult people, whoop. The truth is we're probably the difficult people that other people have to deal with, right? I mean, I know I am sometimes. You know, I like to do some woodworking and stuff in my my time off and one of the things I like to do is I like to make hiking sticks. So I'll go out and I'll cut some sticks and let them season for a while, take a knife and peel the bark off of them. They're still pretty rough. To get them smooth, I have to take sandpaper. And I just rub and rub and rub on that wood until it's smooth. There's sandpaper in your life. And God is using it to make you smooth. And it doesn't feel good, but it's necessary. Next thing I want us to see is, Jesus mentions good and bad fish. What kind of fish are we? Are you a good fish or are you a bad fish? How do you know what kind of fish you are? See, the only way to be a good fish is through faith in Jesus Christ. Because as we said earlier, it's not the good things you do or the bad things you don't do. Because nothing we do is ever good enough to fully match up to the standards of God. That's why Jesus had to die. That's why faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And it's really important that we understand how this happens. Because there's two things, faith and repentance. And they're two sides of the same coin. You can't really have one without the other. Romans 10.9 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Second Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See, that word repentance, I'm gonna butcher the Greek here, it's metanoio, I don't do Greek, but it literally means perceive afterwards. And the indication there is that you suddenly get this new knowledge and you have this knowledge and this knowledge leads you to see, oh my gosh, the way I was is not right. But it's more than just realizing that the way you were living is not right. It spurs you forward. It makes you want to change your life because when we start following Christ, we don't get to be the way that we used to be because God calls us to live a holy life. We've got to understand that repentance and faith are the two sides of the coin of the gospel. If you leave one out, you don't have the gospel. You've got something else. It's more than just coming to church on Sundays. It's more than working in the nursery, although that's certainly a good thing. It's about where your heart is. Everything is about where your heart is. It's so important for us to understand that for our own lives, for the lives of our children, for the lives of those around us, a hundred years from now, the only thing that is truly going to matter about your life or your children's life is whether or not you knew Jesus and how well you followed him. Your SAT scores, not going to matter. The kind of car you drove, not going to matter. The house you lived in, doesn't matter. How good of an athlete you were, doesn't matter. Thank God for that, because I am not an athlete. See, none of that will matter. Now, does that mean that playing sports is bad? No, of course not. Does that mean having a nice house is bad? No. Driving a nice car, doing well in school? Of course not, none of those things are bad. The only time those things are a problem is when they take the place that Jesus should have in your life. We have to put our priorities in the right order. Jesus has got to be first in our lives. The last parable that Jesus talks about is the parable of the old and the new. We find that in verses 51 and 52. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Do you understand these things? Oh, yeah, sure, Jesus, we got it. Woo, yeah, they didn't understand Many times in the the Gospels later, we see that they really didn't get it. Jesus had to explain things again to them, or they didn't understand until after the resurrection. See, again, we have the benefit of looking back. We have the benefit of the Holy Spirit explaining stuff to us. They had Jesus directly, but if Jesus didn't directly explain it to them, it was hard for them to understand. But they were willing. They were willing to go along with what Jesus was saying, even though they didn't fully understand I think it's interesting that he called them teachers of religious law. And the disciples, because we're disciples in that same long line from there. See, the teachers of the religious law, they were the ones that took the concepts that they knew about God and shared them with the people. And that's our job. Pastor Adam talked about just a disease last week. Well, I'm just a factory worker. Well, I'm just to this, I'm just to that. How many people have heard of Billy Graham? How many people know the name of the man that led Billy Graham to Jesus? Ken, all right, man, good job. I used to, but I forgot. And I was gonna look it up this morning and I forgot to look it up again. We know who Billy Graham is, but what if that one man who nobody, hardly anybody remembers his name, what if he hadn't been obedient to God's call in his life? Of thousands of people would not have come to know Jesus through Billy Graham's crusades. And you want to sit back and say, Well, I'm just nobody. No, you're not. You are a child of God. You have God's Holy Spirit living in you, and you have the ability to take that light and that love and share it with the people you work with. Amen. See, and that's the old and the new here. The old is something that doesn't change, and that's who God is. God doesn't change. God's word doesn't change. Who we are to God doesn't change. But what does change are the people we encounter every day. What does change is as we grow and we learn and we spend more time with God, we learn more about His heart. If you want to learn somebody's heart, you got to spend time with them. I understand my wife's heart much better now than I did 13 years ago because I've spent time with her. If you want to learn God's heart, spend time with Him, spend time in prayer. Read the word, spend time with him if you want to know his heart. Some 2020 whatever years ago, I don't do math, when Jesus became a man, when he was born as a baby, that was like D-Day for the kingdom of heaven. That was like the first launch where the kingdom of God really came to earth for the first time. I love what C.S. Lewis has to say. Enemy occupied territory. That's what this world is. And we are on the front lines of bringing God's kingdom to earth. Now, that does not mean that you go out and you find somebody who's a sinner and you start smacking them with your Bible. Okay, that is not what that means. So please say, what Pastor Todd said? No. (laughs) What it means, like I said earlier... If we have put our lives into Jesus' hands, and we have his Holy Spirit living inside of us, we carry the kingdom of God with us wherever we go. You carry that kingdom of God to the grocery store. You carry that kingdom of God to school, to work. Just like that factory worker who was named Steve wouldn't leave his coworker named Ralph alone, talking about Jesus all the time, until you know, he'd get cussed at and then he'd leave. He'd come back again. I wouldn't be here because that Ralph was Pastor Deal. That Steve was Pastor Steve Hauser. I wouldn't be here if they wouldn't have been obedient to God's call on their lives. Because God has a call on everybody's life. You may not be a Billy Graham, but you're a you. What is God calling you to do? Maybe God is calling you to sit with that person in the lunchroom that nobody else sits with. Maybe God's calling you to pray for your waitress at the restaurant you go to every week. Maybe God is praying for you to share the gospel with your family members that don't know him. Maybe God is saying, hey, I want you to help in the nursery at church, and you're not doing it because you think, I can't do that. Maybe God's saying, go help with the teenagers. Like, what do I have to offer those teenagers? The only thing you have to do to work with teenagers is love and listen. That's it. That's all they need. They need somebody to love them, somebody to listen to them. Maybe God is calling you to something else. Whatever it is, God has a call on everybody's life. He has important work in his kingdom for you to do. Are we obedient? Are we going to listen to that call? I remember years ago, I would pray, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. Just don't make me a pastor. (laughs) Here I am. I had it all planned out. I was going to teach history or archaeology at a university, spend my summers doing archaeological digs. Some days I would still like to be spending my time teaching history or archaeology. I like to think that as a a history professor, I'd get yelled at less. You just never know. Um, I'm like, all right, I got some laughs there. But the point is, I followed God's direction. I listened to his call. I have the best job in the world. I get to spend my entire time sharing the love of Jesus with people. Follow the call that God has placed on your life. And maybe, maybe you're sitting here, and you're a younger brother or a younger sister, like the one in the story. And you haven't come home yet, but maybe this is your coming to your senses moment. Let me tell you, your father is waiting for you to start coming down that road so that he can run to you and throw his arms around you. We're going to have some prayer partners up front here. If you have a prayer need, please come and see them. If you're that younger brother or sister and you want them to teach you how you can become a child of God, come see me, come see one of them. Let's close in prayer real quick and then we'll be finished. Father, I just thank you so much that you are a God who came for us. That you are a God of grace and mercy. That you are a God who wants us to come alongside him in the work that you're doing. God, I just ask that you help us to hear the call that you've placed on our lives. Help us to hear that. Help us to obey that. We thank you so much for who you are. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Right, You're dismissed. Go with God. Remember, we'll have our prayer partners here if you have a prayer need.